ladies and gentlemen, David Creeley. Thank you very much. You're wonderful. Please be seated. Thank you, Dorothy. Thank you, Rhoda. It's always an official Sunday night when we have Dorothy and Rhoda with us. And I'm very grateful to Dr. Werwell and to the Board of Trustees for the opportunity to share God's Word tonight. And if you will, please take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, Chapter 17. Just a few days ago, I had the privilege of being with Dr. Werwell in Washington and to participate in the inauguration festivities with him. And upon arrival at Washington National Airport, Dr. Werwell delivered an address to the about 150 believers who were waiting for him there. And at that time, he said that this may be the time, this hour in our history, this time in our lives, this inauguration of a new president, this may be the time when God's people may begin to move out of the wilderness in which we've been encased for so many years that we may begin to move out of the wilderness and into the promised land. <laughs> and he said that we are the Israel of God, and this may be our time. I pray to God that this message for you tonight may inspire you, may help you to see that vision a little clearer, and to see yourself moving out of the wilderness and into the promised land. The story of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, is the story of a man who lived only to love. It is the story of a man who lived to give and to be given, to hope and to be a pillar of hope. He dreamed the greatest dream. He believed the greatest promise. And in so doing, he led us to everlasting life in the heavenlies by our believing on his name. His every sensitivity, his every heartbeat, his every action was a reaching out of himself for the love light of the presence of God, of whom the word of God declares is love. In spite of all that he suffered and endured in this world, he was the greatest lover. He was the greatest teacher. He was the greatest artist at living life and communicating the joy of it. Jesus Christ was the only man who ever mastered life, for he said in John 16.33, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. <laughs> he was called the master, and he was the master, for he had tapped into the master mind. In the Gospel of John chapter 17, only a few hours before the crucifixion, with intolerable pressure on his mind, he prayed a heart prayer to the Heavenly Father, and this prayer was for you and for me. And picking up that prayer in verse 17, he prayed to the Father and he said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is what? As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be what? One. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us 
that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. What a tremendous prayer <laughs> for his people and for you and for me, because we have heard that word that has come down uh, to us through the ages. The prayer of Jesus Christ was answered by the Heavenly Father on the day of Pentecost. <laughs> when it became available for natural man to be born again, to be born from above, and to receive the sonship spirit of God, <laughs> the spirit, the same spirit that was on Jesus Christ. Now, the fullness of this was not revealed until some time later. People had to begin to mature. They had to grow in grace. <laughs> they had to speak in tongues as they first did on the day of Pentecost. And eventually there was a mature Christian by the name of the Apostle Paul to whom God could reveal the fullness of this answered prayer. In Ephesians chapter 2, we begin to see this unfold. Ephesians chapter 2 is written to the mature Christian, that Christian who has renewed his mind a little bit, who has operated the manifestation of speaking in tongues, who's built himself up spiritually, and begin can begin to receive the fullness of everything that Jesus Christ accomplished for us. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, the Apostle Paul writes, God being who is rich in his mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And he hath raised us up together and made us to sit together. Where? In the heavenlies. <laughs> we're seated in the heavenlies. Just as um, Lieutenant Commander Axtell sang tonight, we're seated in the heavenlies. This is a little bit of the fullness of the answered prayer of Jesus Christ. We keep reading into the next verse, that in the ages to come, the purpose that we're seated in the heavenlies is this, that in the ages to come, he, God, might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. <laughs> if you think God is kind, the day is coming. We're going to see how really kind God is. <laughs> and in jump back right now to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to skip around the book of Ephesians for just a minute here. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, here's a prayer of God that the Apostle Paul wrote down, and he says in verse 15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith, or believing in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. 
the eyes of your understanding being what? <laughs> being lit up. God wants the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened. He wants us to know the fullness of everything that we have from that vantage point of the heavenlies looking down on this world in which we live. He wants us to know everything that he's done for us. The eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and he's put all things under his feet and gave him to be what the head over all things to the church which is his body now some of the details of what God wants us, wants our eyes to be enlightened to begin to unfold to us. We're seeing that Christ is the head. Do you do your thinking in your, who, who does his thinking in his big toe? See, none of us do our thinking in our big toe. <laughs> we do our thinking in our head, in our mind. Well, the word says that Christ is the head and he's the head of the body. You see, we, we're talking about a spiritual body. <laughs> that the guys sang about a little earlier, and this is just a little bit of the mystery that begins to unfold it to us. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. Now therefore, as a result of all this, we're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord. Now we're talking about a living spiritual temple. In verse 22, in whom in this temple you also are builded together for a habitation of God. Now God has a dwelling place. He has a place to live. We are the habitation of God. God lives in me. He lives in Danny. He lives in Earl. He lives in Randy. He lives in my wife. God lives in each of us. We are the habitation of God. We're a part of that spiritual body of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Christ is the head. So we keep going. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4. These are just some foundational scriptures that we need to get a mind picture of as we continue in this teaching tonight. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. The word says there is one, what? Body. One body. One spirit. <laughs> Even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he said when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And this is the reason that he gave these ministries 
for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. <laughs> Until we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. We're not there yet. But that's our goal, to reach that point where we've come unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. <laughs> that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things who is the head, who is the head? Christ. From whom the whole body, fitly joined together, and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, makes increase of the body unto the building up of itself in love. <laughs> what a tremendous reality. Well, those are just a few foundational principles from the book of Ephesians. We're seated in the heavenlies. That's our vantage point. We're part of that holy temple of the living God. We're part of the spiritual body. And Christ is the head. He's the one who does the thinking for us. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, Paul continues and he talks about the mystery a little bit more. Sort of the icing on the cake of the mystery here. In Colossians 1, verse 26, Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest or clear to his saints, to whom God would make known what is or are the riches of the glory of this mystery, the riches of the glory of this mystery, among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, each of us has Christ in him. <laughs> what a tremendous reality that is. Christ in us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now we know we're seated in the heavenlies. We know we're part of the spiritual body. We know we have Christ in us. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, talking about the inner workings of that spiritual body, Paul writes in verse 18, But now hath God set the members, that's you and me, we're members of that body, <laughs> Now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased who? As it has pleased him. <laughs> so, God set the members in the body. He set me, he set you, in that spiritual body of Christ, as it pleased him. <laughs> now, each of us has a unique and wonderful calling, a purpose, in the body of Christ. You know, the Old Testament was written for our knowledge. God wants us to be smart about the whole scope of history. His story, you know, history. He wants us to have understanding. He wants the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened. And so, he set patterns in the Old Testament that would give us a scope and understanding of the greatness of what he would do for us spiritually as a result of what Jesus Christ accomplished. Look at First uh, Chronicles chapter 29. Back there in those days, they built a temple. Just like some denominations nowadays, you know, they think they've got to have a new cathedral or a new church on the corner, or they're just not moving forward with the things of God. But in First Chronicles chapter 29, because it was not available for God to live in the heart and soul of the individual believer... <laughs> <laughs> 
God had to manifest himself in some physical way. So he lived in the Ark of the Covenant, first of all, and then when the time came to build the temple, David laid the path, laid the framework of this temple, and it was his son who oversaw the building of it. And as he built that temple, God worked within him. He gave him the spirit of wisdom. He told him how to build the temple, told him how to decorate it, how to beautify it, how to make it spiritual, something that would inspire people when they went in there to enlighten their eyes to the presence of God. In First Chronicles 29... In verse 2, and David is speaking to his son Solomon, giving him some wisdom on the building of the temple. And he says here, Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God, the gold for things to be made of gold, the silver for things to be made of silver, and the brass for things of brass, iron for things of iron, and wood for things of wood, onyx stones and stones to be set, glistering stones and of diverse colors and all manner of precious stones and marble stones in abundance. Now that was some temple. You went inside that temple, you saw all these precious stones decorating the interior of the temple and they were supposed to inspire you about and concerning the presence of God. Well, things are a little different nowadays. I don't get inspired when I go in cathedrals. But I do get inspired when I go into the Word of God and I see that the collective body of the believing believers, the body of the believers is the temple of the living God. Now, considering how Solomon decorated the temple in the old days, look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Sort of a thrilling parallel here. How God was planning down through the years to prepare something more wonderful than that physical temple. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If so be, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Anyone tasted that the Lord is gracious? Verse 4, To whom coming, as unto a living stone, talking about Jesus Christ, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Verse 5, You also, as lively stones, as living stones, (laughs) we are the living stones in the temple of the living God. And we are built up a spiritual house. <laughs> you know, I have a wedding ring in my right hand. I like to wear it on my right hand just to be different, I guess. I don't know. It's sort of pretty, and it's got some stones in it. And when I hold it up to the light or when I hold it up to the sun, it sparkles. And it's pretty, and I like it, you know. <laughs> but compared to what God is doing for us in our lives, these are just a token. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how people get into stones, into precious stones? They just love to look at them. They love to collect jewelry. They're inspired to look at the the stones the way they sparkle in their jewelry. Man has always hungered after different kinds of precious stones because they inspire him. But they're only a token of a bigger, greater, sensational reality. That we are the lively, precious stones decorating, beautifying the temple of the living God. Look at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He, Christ, shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. 
glorified at the right hand of God. In verse 3, every man, now this was written before woman's lib, <laughs> every man and woman <laughs> who hath this hope in him purifieth himself. He purifies himself. That word purifieth is the Greek word hagnizo. It means to be kept lustrous. <laughs> when the hope of the return of Jesus Christ is living for you. It is the hand of God polishing your mind, your heart, your life, beautifying you because we are the ones who beautify the temple of the living God. What a tremendous... God is the greatest artist. <laughs> he invented art. He invented life. Okay, now we have all these wonderful mind pictures. You know, it's, these are great things to think about. They turn me on every time I think about them. But you know, sometimes you can think about them and not do anything about it. And you think about it and you think about it and pretty soon when you don't do anything about it, you stop thinking about it. So we need some practical keys. How do we turn these incredible spiritual realities, the, the eyes of our understanding being enlightened to what God has done for us through Christ, how do we turn it into practical keys to help us on a day-by-day -day basis? Well, the answer, of course, is in the renewed mind. <laughs> You've heard that before. The renewed mind is the key to power. Now, there's a class on the renewed mind taught by Reverend Cummins. If you haven't taken that, I recommend it. <laughs> there are many teachings and many articles in the magazine that you can hear and that you can study that will teach you about the renewed mind. I'm going to go through a few verses. You might want to jot these down. We're going to go through them sort of quickly. You know, mankind knows the tremendous power of the mind. Many men have written great books about the renewed mind principle, how you control your thinking. Norman Vincent Peale, <laughs> Dale Carnegie. They've made millions on... The, po the principle of the power of positive thinking in order to get you to control your mind so you can reach goals that you want to reach. Now, one book that I've read that especially inspires me and turns me on is a book called Think and Grow Rich. <laughs> no, that's not a bad title. I'd buy that. <laughs> Think and Grow Rich. It's by a man by the name of Napoleon Hill. And this man writes in chapter 10 of this book, talking about the renewed mind, just a few quotes in this chapter 10. He talks about a special principle that he calls the master mind. This is what he says about it. He says, the master mind may be defined as, quote, coordination of knowledge and effort in a spirit of harmony. Could that be translated into the spirit of the presence of God? Spirit of harmony between two or more people for the attainment of a definite purpose. That's the essence of his mastermind principle. He goes on to say this. He says, no two minds ever come together without thereby creating a third invisible, intangible force which may be likened to a third mind. <laughs> and he continues in this chapter. And he talks about how to multiply your brain power. And he says this, Man's brain may be compared to an electric battery. It is a well-known fact that a group of electric batteries will provide more energy than a single battery. It is also a well-known fact 
that an individual battery will provide energy in proportion to the number and capacity of the cells it contains. And he says this about the brain. He says the brain functions in a similar fashion. This accounts for the fact that some brains are more efficient than others and leads to this significant statement. A group of brains coordinated or connected in a spirit of harmony will provide more thought energy than a single brain, just as a group of electric batteries will provide more energy than a single battery. And he concludes, at least uh, the concluding statement I've selected from this chapter is this. When a group of individual brains are coordinated and function in harmony, the increased energy created through that alliance becomes available to every individual brain in the group. <laughs> now, this is his mastermind principle. Now, the Word of God has something to say about the mind of the believer. Some tremendous things to say. <laughs> and in light of what I've just told you from Napoleon Hill's book about the mastermind, think of that as we go through some of these verses. Foundational, of course, is Romans chapter 12. We're going to speed through these for a few minutes, <clears throat> and they sort of build to a crescendo. Romans chapter 12 is a keynote, renewed mind verse. I'm sure many of you have even memorized it. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the word says, Be not conformed to what? To this world. But, on the other hand, be transformed, be changed, be transfigured. Put a new figure, a new picture, a new scheme in your mind by the renewing, a continuous process, of your mind. Now, the purpose... Now, God doesn't tell us to do that just because, you know, He can't think of anything else to tell us to do. But there's a result. There's a profit that He wants us to be blessed for, by. And this is it. In order that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants us to prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God in our lives. He wants the greatest benefit for us. He wants our lives to blossom and to be fulfilled. He wants us to see that unique and special place that He set us in the spiritual body of Christ so that all of those ligatures working together in the spirit of harmony will build themselves up in, unto the edifying of itself in love from Ephesians. That's what God wants. And you know, when that happens, an individual's concern and, con and care for his own personal goals, for his own achievement, for his own self-esteem, for position and so on, makes no difference. He doesn't even care about that stuff anymore. Because as he gets out of himself and into the one self of God in Christ, that's when his... The heart, his heart's desires are fulfilled. First Peter chapter four. This sort of builds for us. First Peter chapter four, verse one, and the word says, "For as much then as Christ hath suffered." That word "suffer" is the Greek word "pasco," means endured or experienced. Jesus Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves likewise with what? the same mind. <laughs> For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. God wants us to arm ourselves. He knows that we're involved in, we've got an adversary that we live in, a crooked and perverse generation, a world that's not always what it should be. 
we need to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. <laughs> Any of you have experienced that? <laughs> They're foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. <laughs> but he that is spiritual judges all things that he himself is judged by no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord <laughs> that he may instruct him or teach it? But we have what? The mind of Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 3. The Word says that we have the mind of Christ. If you've read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, some of our sonship rights, one of those sonship rights that we have is the sonship right of wisdom. <laughs> Whether we like it or not, we're as wise, potentially, as the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the wisdom of Christ because the Word says we have the mind of Christ. Colossians chapter 3. This whole chapter of Colossians 3 is a renewed mind chapter might want to read it one of these days when you're attempting to renew your mind. But the verse that I've selected is, is verse 10. And it says that we have put on the new man. The new man is the mind of Christ in us. We put on the new man. And this new man is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now, who created him? God created him. <laughs> And as we renew our minds, as we put on this mind of Christ that we see in the Word of God, we are putting on the image of God in our mind. The image of God. We're becoming more God-like. <laughs> and it manifests itself in the presence of Christ in us. Big stuff, huh? Philippians chapter 2. A couple of verses there that are real exciting, I think. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Paul writes and he says, Fulfill ye my joy, that you be what? <laughs> Like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one what? Mind. Look at verse 5. <clears throat> Let this mind be in you. <laughs> the same mind be in you, which was also in who? Christ Jesus. The Word says, let it. Let it. We do it by our own free will, by looking into the Word of God. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Scattered throughout all of these epistles, written directly to the believer, God is saying, let us be like-minded. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak what? Same thing. That there be no divisions among you, and that you be perfectly joined together in the same what? Mind. Same mind. And in the same judgment. Romans chapter 15. Romans 15. Foundational doctrinal epistle. Romans 15, verse 5. Now the God of patience and consolation, which means comfort, grant you to be what? Like-minded, one toward another, according to Christ, toward, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with what? One mind and what? One mouth. One mouth. Glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He beseeches us that we be of one mind. <laughs> he beseeches us that we be of one mouth, that we speak the same thing. Now, this is the word of God concerning the mastermind. <laughs> the mastermind is that mind of God in Christ in each of us. And when we are all like-minded, <laughs> that's when the mystery can live. And it hasn't lived, perhaps like it will one of these days, but we're growing, we're maturing as spiritual people, as sons and daughters. The mystery is beginning to live more and more. And I have jotted down five steps, five practical applications of everything that I presented so far that you can take and on a day-by-day -day basis you can work and make your own that will help you to tap into the mastermind. Now the first one, of course, in its least common denominator, the individual believer. Because each individual believer has Christ in him, the hope of glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. There are five basic steps, and these are not meant to be the five definitive steps. You may find some other steps, but I sort of like the number five, since we're talking about the epistles of, to the grace administration here. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul is writing to the individual believer, and he says in verse 4, he that speaketh in a tongue, what does he do? He edifies himself. <laughs> he builds himself up spiritually when he speaks in tongues. It's foolishness to the natural man, but God has given us a simple little device that's fun to do. <laughs> we can't understand what we're saying, but when we speak in tongues, it's a hotline to God. We're magnifying God. We've tapped into the mastermind. God can speak to us because we build up the spirit of Christ within us. We are building ourselves up on an individual basis. Now, there's a corollary to this. There's a part B to this individual first step. Romans chapter 8. Here is a leverage of power that many of us use regularly, and perhaps we've never seen it as a principle of tapping into the mastermind. Romans chapter 8 and verse 27. Well, let's start with 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, <laughs> but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because it makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Isn't that incredible? You can stay your mind on a fellow believer or a loved one in your family across the miles, you can speak in tongues for that believer, and it's just as though the hand of Christ is reaching out across the miles to heal that person on the other side of the country. What an incredible truth that we can do. And it's so simple. We just stay our mind on that believer and we speak in tongues. Remember in the Gospels when the centurion came to the Lord Jesus Christ and he said to Jesus Christ, Master, just speak the word and my daughter will be healed. And Jesus Christ said, so be it according to your believing. <laughs> and the hand of God in Jesus Christ reached out across the miles and healed that daughter at that moment. What an incredible reality. We've got power. <laughs> We've got an ability within us 
that can heal your family, that can heal your loved ones. We can heal, we can bless, we can edify one another. Well, that's just step one. Let's keep going on to step two. The next one is sort of obvious. <laughs> two believers join together in a common cause or a definite purpose. Matthew chapter 18. See how when Napoleon Hill was writing about the mastermind, he knew some things that he was talking about, but I'm not sure he even knew it was in the Word of God. <laughs> Matthew chapter 18 <clears throat> and verse 19. Jesus Christ is speaking and he says this, Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching what? Anything. Anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Verse 20, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. <laughs> it's the third mind. <laughs> you see, when two people get together and they pray together, they lift things to the Father. They inspire one another. They help one another's believing. And maybe on an individual basis, you can't quite get there in your believing to get your prayer answered. But two of you together... You inspire one another. You lift one another up over the hump into the realm of the dynamic of the mastermind. <laughs> and then it's easy for you to believe and your prayers are answered. There is a corollary to this. First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3 verse 1. Now this is the same principle. There's nothing different about it, but it's sort of a special kind of a deal. First Peter chapter 3 verse 1. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection. Now, that means in subjection as man is subject to Christ. The woman is subject to the husband. Be in subjection to your own husbands in order that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation or the behavior of the wives. Jump over to verse, to verse 7. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them, with the wives, according to the knowledge, knowledge of the word of God, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker or the more tender vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, in order that your prayers be not hindered. <laughs> when a husband and wife get together and pray together for the same thing, when they become one mind together with a definite purpose, a definite reason for their prayer, their prayers are not going to be hindered. This is the promise of the Word of God. You're going to have that answer to your prayer. Now, this is only two people gathered together. The next step, three or more. <laughs> it continues to build sort of like a pyramid, an inverted pyramid. Three or more. Now, where do you normally have three or more people with the same mind, the same thinking, where they gather together. In a twig fellowship, right? A twig fellowship. Look at Acts chapter 11. Sort of an example of a twig fellowship here. Three or more people gathered together. Now, the world calls this a committee, or a board of directors, or a pilot council. See, all these people get together, and on an individual basis, maybe they wouldn't be inspired to come, come up with the answers 
the ideas that's going to make that, that, that going to get them the goal that they're after. Allow them to reach that goal. They're maybe they're having a bake sale or something. I don't know. Well, what you know. In the world, an example of this is a committee or a board of directors. Now, in our ministry, the perfect example of this is the board of trustees. Three men who from time to time get together in the spirit of harmony. Napoleon Hill calls it the spirit of harmony. It's the presence of the spirit of God. Now, perhaps one of those men by himself would not have the answer to the great dynamic of the move of the word at that time. But when these three men get together, they pray to God, they thank God for working within them, they thank God for the answer, they talk about it, they come to one decision, and that is a decision way beyond any single decision that perhaps one of them could arrive at. They've tapped into the master mind, which is simply the mind of God in Christ, present and living because they believe. <laughs> in Acts chapter 12, verse 11. Now here was the beginning of the early church. <laughs> the beginning of the early church when Peter was in prison. He was caught up in prison. Herod had taken him. <laughs> and it says in verse 11, when Peter was come to himself, an angel had just kicked him in the side, <laughs> woken him up, led him out the door, and he was free. And when he finally came to himself, he said, Now I know of a, of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel, hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together. What? Pray. They were having a twig fellowship. And they had one thing in mind. Peter getting out of prison. Did he get out? He sure did. An example of step three of the mastermind principle. The next step is, of course, the whole household of God. The whole household of God. Look at Philippians chapter one. The whole household of God, like-minded, believing together for the word over the world. Philippians chapter one, verse 27. Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and be with you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with what? One mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. This is the movement of the word over the world. One goal in mind, we lift it every day as the household stands together, as we're like-minded, we're going to see the movement of the word over the world. There are other examples you can look at. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, we won't turn to that right now, but it says the early church was of one heart and of one soul, and great power was upon the apostles, and many were healed, because the mystery began to live. They were of one heart and one mind. And of course, the final step of this is the whole family of God, the entire family of God, gathered together in one perfect body. Philippians chapter 3 says that our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile or humiliated body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. <laughs> now that's the finale of the mastermind principle. That's the maturing of the body of Christ. That's 
when we all come unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I'll tell you, we'll all have one mind then. These are just some of the principles of the mastermind that I wanted to point out to you. If you practice these, I think they're going to help you a little bit. Because when the mystery lives for you, that's when you get out of yourself. That's when you stop worrying about yourself and you tap into the all-self. That's when you're living in the spiritual dimension. Jesus Christ said in Mark chapter 8, we ought to turn to that for take another minute, look at this final scripture in Mark chapter 8, a verse that many times is misunderstood by God's people because they don't quite understand what the Lord was talking about. But maybe in the light of what I shared with you tonight, you'll understand it a little better. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall what? Lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and what? The Gospels. <laughs> the same shall save it. And it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, that we, the believing ones, ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We ought to die to self in order that we can live to Christ. What a tremendous promise that God has given to us. When the mystery lives, you begin to get out of yourself. You don't have to worry about your self-goals, your self-desires anymore, because they are automatically taken care of when the mystery lives for you, when you're walking in alignment and harmony with God. You know, the faculty is involved in a seminar that they're doing, and they're having a class tomorrow night, and one of the books that they are reading this particular time is the essays of Francis Bacon. Now, Francis Bacon was a pretty good writer, and he wrote something sort of neat that I copied down here that I'd like to close with. This is what he wrote. He said, It is a pleasure to stand upon the shore and to see ships tossed upon the sea. <laughs> a pleasure to stand in the window of a castle and to see a battle and the adventures thereof below. But no pleasure is comparable to the standing upon the vantage ground of truth, a hill not to be commanded, and where the air is always clear and serene. And to see the airs and wanderings and mists and tempests in the vale below, so always that this prospect be with pity and not with swelling or pride. Certainly it is heaven upon earth, to have a man's mind move in charity, rest in providence, and turn upon the poles of truth. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the light of your presence in our mind. Thank you, Father, for having healed our hearts and for this wonderful day and this wonderful life that you set before us. Father, I lift this teaching to you. May it reach out to bless, to inspire, to help, to motivate people that together with one mind we may glorify you, Father, and continue to move in this ministry with the greatness of the word over the world, that our heart's desires may be met as we get out of ourselves, Father, and into Christ. 
I lift this to you and I thank you for this wonderful night. In the name of our living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.